0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning back in if this is your second episode. And if it's your first and you like what you hear, be sure to check out the previous. It's short, sweet, and all about karaoke murder. With that being said, today's episode is about Charles Manson, the Beach Boys, and song theft. If that sounds strange, Keep listening. I'm sure by now you've heard some version of the Charles Manson story. Estranged cult leader gets denied a record deal and decides to take vengeance into his own hands, resulting in the deaths of five adults, including beloved actress Sharon Tate and her unborn child. The case has been so widely covered, I've decided not to go into much detail about it today. And instead, I'll be focusing on Manson's connections to the music industry, which I believe at times have been understated. The accepted narrative is that Manson was a wannabe musician with no chance for success. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I believe it was less a lack of talent that hindered Charlie and more so a lack of discipline. He was difficult to work with and refused feedback or direction. Charlie was an egomaniac attempting to rely on others to make his dream come true. Yet despite this he was still by all accounts a charismatic, well-liked and very well-connected guy so much so that producers Gary Stromberg and Terry Melcher, who are widely known as being the men who gave Manson the runaround, aren't the only or even the most famous people associated with Charlie. That title would, of course, go to the Beach Boys, and more specifically, Dennis Wilson. So you might be asking, How did a barefoot hippie, no doubt high on drugs, and claiming to be the messiah, write a Beach Boys song? Well, it all started in March of 1968. Because of the innocent image conjured up by the Beach Boys' music, a lot of people don't realize just how involved the Wilson Boys were with the counterculture of that time or what that really means. Because being a part of the counterculture in 1968 meant lots of drugs, lots of sex, and lots of music. And especially lots of sex. So when the recently divorced beach boy Dennis Wilson came across two young, attractive women while driving through the hills of Sunset Boulevard, he took it upon himself to lend a helping hand and drove them home a couple months later Dennis picked up the same two women again only this time he brought them back to his multi-million dollar home and that's when they told him about the man they were staying with a musician and spiritual leader they said named Charlie Wilson was intrigued no doubt but he had work to do and so he left for a recording session. And when he arrived home later that night, Manson was there, at his house. Charles Manson greeted him at the door, got down on his hands and knees, and then kissed Dennis Wilson's feet, saying, quote, "'Do I look like I want to hurt you, brother?' Despite this strange encounter, the two seemed to hit it off immediately. And soon, they would smoke pot and drop acid together, make music together, and even live together for a brief time. There are even rumors of the two engaging in group sex with some of Manson's quote-unquote girls. But I suppose all good things must come to an end. And when Dennis introduced Manson to the rest of the Beach Boys in hopes of having him join the band only to be met with distaste, this spelled the end for their short-lived bromance. However, Dennis wasn't leaving empty-handed. Because, you see, towards the end of their odd friendship, Dennis showed a song to his bandmates called Never Learn Not to Love. And the guys must have liked it because it was released as a B-side single in December 1968 and was included on their 15th studio album, 2020. Even making top 40 on the UK charts, the song was listed as being written by Dennis Wilson. The only problem? Dennis Wilson didn't write the song. Charles Manson did and the song was originally titled Cease to Exist. Now, depending on who you believe, the song could have been purchased fair and square. Manson was simply upset because the lyrics were changed and a bridge was added, and it wasn't his original vision. Or maybe Dennis Wilson just straight up stole it. Who knows? We do know Manson was upset, though, even going as far as to deliver a single bullet to Dennis as a threat following the release of Never Learn Not to Love. But, as we now know, Charlie would never exact his revenge on Dennis Wilson. Because not long after recording his own version of the song for his 1970 album titled Lie, The Love and Terror Cult, Manson was convicted on several accounts of first-degree murder. It's strange to think that a man like that could be tied so closely to the guys who wrote good vibrations and fun, fun, fun. But I suppose that just as one man's trash is another man's treasure, so is one man's beach boy another man's cult leader. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this strangely entertaining. And if you haven't heard either of the songs in this episode, I recommend you go check them out. Maybe even compare and contrast the two. I've really enjoyed making this podcast, and I hope I get better as I go, so feel free to like and subscribe, or maybe even leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, thanks again.